Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. Have we got a good one for you today? Today, uh, honestly, I, I love this type of topic because it, it warms the soul. It's a soul warming topic. And uh, I, I'm going to let you in on what it is. Today, we're talking about heroes. Right, So just think out there in driver, listener land, you're driving your car, trying to just keep it steady, straight down the road. Who's your hero? If you had to choose one person, one hero of your life, who's the one person you'd say really has motivated you, has changed you? Who, who do you hold up as somebody that went above and beyond the call of duty? Uh, heroes. That's the topic of today's show, and we've got uh, we've got an awesome author that'll be joining us a little bit later. Um, her name is Denise Kiernan. She's the author of the book "The Girls of Atomic City: The Untold Story of the Women Who Helped Win World War II." We're going to hear all of those stories. Plus, you know, we're going to go through all of our own heroes. Now, I think after the Olympics, see a lot of my first hero as a kid was Bruce Jenner. Now he's kind of blown it up since he got hooked up with the uh, what are they called? Who's the Bruce Jenner? Who's, oh, Kardashians. So you guys probably don't even know that. But Bruce Jenner, the the wonderful father uh, patriarch of the Kardashian clan, <laughs> he used to be a decathlete like our very own Mike Pond. But he was a superstar. He was on the Wheaties box when I was a kid. That's pretty cool. I know. I really liked Michelle Kwan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. Olympics cool. again. See, it's Olympics. Yeah. We you're drawn to that. I liked, uh, um, not Tanya Harding, but the one that Nancy she Kerrigan. that she Nancy Kerrigan, <laughs> that she baton. She had her guy baton. Well, maybe hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. Allegedly. Let's leave that out in the open. But here's the deal. Uh, heroes, they're huge. We all kind of need one, right? They're really huge. Yeah. And um, I think this is really evident if you look at society today. What are we obsessed with? What do we? What po- movies Pokemon. do we want to go see? Pokemon. It's all the hero movies. And I mean, Avengers still is the highest grossing movie of all time. Is it really? Yeah. Now watch. That's nuts. Okay, let's be real though. Like right now, I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying to see it. There's a there's the Lego movie. Yeah, you know what? And I haven't seen it either. And I feel like I've been slacking. I saw it. It's fantastic. And is it fantastic? <laughs> it's way good. Everything now, is awesome. Is it hard? <laughs> See, to me, it would be hard to relate to a Lego. Yeah, I don't like Lego. Well, I like I Legos. loved them as Everybody a kid and Legos. as a father. It was great. <laughs> I stepped on many of them. But, but the, the story is what's Is the story good. great? It's the writing is good. It totally sucks you in and you're just enthralled. Okay. It's great. It's so, cool. And there's even a twist to it that actually makes it easier to relate to the Legos. Right. Yeah, just the saying. twist is good. Not going to say what it is. So yeah, you're, exactly. you're trying to not spoil it. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. But it did. It's... Is there a hero in the story? Maybe. Okay. No spoilers. Ooh, you're not even doing that. <laughs> no, I will tell you though. It did seem like it was written by a seven-year-old. <laughs> no, but that's what made it so much fun. I know it's so it, funny. It's so random. Things that you would just see your little kid doing on the floor yeah. is in this movie. Well, even the, even that song, "Everything Is Awesome," sounds like it could have been written by a seven-year-old. Yeah. How fun! So funny. See, but, so even Legos can be heroes. Right? I mean, my kids thought Pokemon, no, uh, P- Power Rangers were real. 
They still do. <laughs> yeah, and they're all like eighteen. Wait, what? And... Th- they're not. Really? Oh, sorry, oh. James. You're bursting some bubbles no, they're, here. they're totally. Uh. Right. So heroes, though, apparently there's more to it than meets the eye. Yeah, and I think I just think if you look at it, when the times that heroes were most popular. So comic books started yeah. becoming most popular during World War II. And really? I don't think yeah. that's coincidence. No, not at all. I mean, that was a time when people needed somebody to be an example, to save them when they were in trouble. And uh, the same thing I feel like is kind of happening now. We had a recession and it was scary and we had war and it was scary. And um, I mean, I really think that you could link a lot of the kind of revival of comic book heroes to events like September 11th. You and bet. Yeah. And it's just that we are drawn to that because for a number of reasons and i have a list of them actually like do you have a hero i know you're sharing them later who's give me a hero i know we and james you be thinking too because i know yours is going to be way out there um no but mary what like do you have a hero and do heroes have to be girls if you're a girl no can you have a boy hero if you're a girl i think so i have girl heroes too i mean yeah yeah definitely See, because then you could have a historical hero. Yeah, you can have a historical hero. You hear a lot, you know, when uh, if you're supposed to write an essay about your hero in your life, people usually say yeah. their parents. Um, that's a big deal. I like I like a biblical one. I, I have a biblical Abraham Isaac. Hey, yeah, Abraham's they were my cool. hero because he was this close to killing his son, and he pulled it right <laughs> out. He said, "No, I'm not going to do it now." Yeah, stopped it. Well, he was told to, but yeah. You know, that's there, you know, there's that's a concept heroic, of obedience in there. I mean, you had but. the chance, <laughs> and you didn't. I do feel like heroes are different from role models, though, just to point that out. Because I think that role models is how you live your life, and heroes is They're, can just be one act of... It could just be one act of heroism. Good job. I would never be able to do that, I don't that's think. That's interesting. So do we want to be our kids' heroes, or do we want to be their role model? Hmm. I mean, I could be a hero once. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an interesting question, and... Um, I think it comes down to the idea that heroes, it's the concept of a hero is something that is, has been, you know, tossed around since ancient times. And we, you know, right. you think of uh, the Greeks yeah. and yep. there was, you know, Hercules and, you know, there, or Jason, there are people who have unique abilities usually there's right. somebody who for whatever reason was able to do something that was maybe slightly inhuman yeah something above and beyond what we normally think we can do but um to go back to that i think that's we're formulate like we're born and we expect heroes in our life we yeah. are automatically drawn to heroes yeah. through something that is deep and psychological right. we want to look for something and aspire to somebody who is above what we maybe think we right. could achieve um, and not only that, but heroes, they are the people who educate us about what we should be looking for in life. Yeah. Like it's, they're, they're this, they're kind of this iconic, um, model. And, and we might like this about Rosa Parks and we mm-hmm. might like this about a Gandhi or, you know, who can turn a revolution and yeah, but, but we see maybe a little bit of ourselves in some of them. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, maybe they've defeated that weakness. Right. Maybe they've, uh, you know, maybe they have a quality that we'd really like to develop within ourselves. Uh, Lady Gaga. There, you know, we did talk about that before the show. She's one of mine. You know, I took that. I mean, as far as <laughs> what ability does she have that you wish the, that yeah. she embodies? Uh, she has the ability to transform her image. 
That's pretty cool, that actually. Yeah, that's good. I mean, because well, part of that is because I'm about to transform my image. Oh, really? Are you doing a rebranding? Plastic surgery? I'm doing a little <laughs> little nip and tuck. <laughs> I don't like to talk about it on the air, but uh, no, I'm probably just going to get some glasses. Oh, new Ooh. glasses. Just, you know. That's, yeah. I, that's where I'm starting. <laughs> and then probably the nip and tuck. And then the new hair thing. What kind of glasses are you going to get? Um, I think bifocals is what they're telling me. Oh, you want? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to get really uh, like tortoise shell, really, really good looking glasses. Ooh, that's going to look great. Because I, I've seen like really good looking models wearing them, and I feel like, uh, you know, I could do that. Your if glasses. I had the right model. Your glasses are going to turn you into a supermodel. And your hero, Ish. Steve Carell. Steve Carell is my hero. <laughs> You're a role model, I would say. I'm going to get glasses like Steve Carell. I'm just going to say. Everybody thinks I'm like Michael Scott from The Office, <laughs> but it's really Steve Carell. He's my hero. So, you know, Merritt's like trying to get all serious, and I just pulled out Lady Gaga. You but can pull out Lady Gaga. Basically because I, I do need an image change. You, you but know, I'm not going to go crazy like she She's crazy. I mean, well, not, she's a crazy image lady. She has some artistic Yeah, she's, a, she's creative. We'll, Let's we'll call it that. Maybe she that's her heroic skill. Yeah. Um, so why do we need heroes? I Again, so we they save us when we're in trouble. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we see heroes at this day and age is because we want somebody to kind of clean everything up so yeah, that we, we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we want a superhero to come get I know, all the like, Wouldn't guys. it be nice if Iron Man all of a sudden like, appeared and we saved, you know, we stop terrorism and save yeah. the city, and it would be great. I think it'd be great. Um, heroes give us hope, and I think that is the biggest reason, um, is because a person who's a hero, and a lot of times heroes are born out of really, really unfortunate circumstances, and we're going to get into that later today, but they're a person who makes us realize that it is possible to get beyond, and it is possible to do good even when you're surrounded yeah. by a lot of things that are dark and not going well. We had Kyle Johnson on. Uh, yeah. Was it Monday? Mm-hmm. Well, it was last uh, Thursday. It felt like last yes. Monday, Thursday. <laughs> and he cracks his head open. Yeah. 25, 30 fractures on his skull and has to learn to read and write and do everything all over again. That's a hero. Yeah, definitely. Now, it's interesting because he didn't save anyone's life, but he's he's a role model for how to go through trial. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, if somebody were to have a similar experience where they were to have an accident, the idea that he, Kyle, out of some sort of dark circumstance, managed to rise above it, that would be... a that's heroic. Source of hope. That's yeah. heroic. Yeah. We need it. Definitely. Um, heroes also kind of reinstate a moral worldview, which I always find is interesting. So there's they like kind there's of reestablish yeah. like the truth, justice, yeah. the American um, way, valuing life. Like yeah. it's just these solid things that people all kind of collectively believe. Yeah. Um, we need that because yeah. all of a sudden, what are you supposed to believe in? You're, you're, the center on your favorite basketball team? Yeah, is that, that your hero? <laughs> but I mean, that's what we do. Yeah, we turn definitely. to pop culture, don't we? We move it we toward do. And that's... a pop culture kind of hero like Lady Gaga. Yeah, and which I think that goes back to more to the idea of the hero has something that you want. Mm. So, you know, if I were to, I'm trying to think. Um, Joe Scarlett DiMaggio. Johansson. Okay, let's go there. If I were to, you know, think, like, I really want to be like Scarlett Johansson, yeah. it'd probably be more because she's kind of, she's charismatic and pretty. Vivacious. Yeah, there you go. Um, See, and I'd go with Joe DiMaggio. You could do that, yes. But he was a, he was like this iconic baseball player. Yeah. Who dated Marilyn Monroe, and everybody was like, "Wow, 
not only is he incredible at baseball, <laughs> but he got Maryland. There you go. Boom. Um, and lastly, heroes provide very good stories, which I think is. It's an we crave a story, aspect. don't we? We crave, a, we good crave story. a story, and we crave a story not only just stories in general, but we crave stories in a certain format. Yes. Um, you know, Carl Jung talked about that with yeah. the archetypes. It's it's the idea of somebody triumphing over something, um, and heroes are, are those people and really any story that you participate in any story that you view the protagonist the main person is a hero in some sense they yeah. do overcome some sort of thing and that's why we like heroes we, we like to know so that if there's bad people that the storyline is going to go that the good person gets the bad person yeah in a heroic way usually in the last minute saving a baby that's usually how it goes yeah right <laughs> and then you know then he, the the hero was trying to save the villain, but you know his glove slipped off and he died. Yeah, that would be because you don't want the villain to live. No, even though you know that would be nice. <laughs> it would be nice, but but he's got to go. He's got to yeah. die. Uh, I think also heroes make the world seem a little bit simpler, and it draws out the again the simple truths in life but kind of what you're saying we want the villain to die oh yeah but when you were focusing on a hero it's okay for the villain to die and it's okay for things to be black and white yeah and we don't have that kind of moral gray ground that is so confusing and hard for people yeah there's there's always a clear path there's a clear path and it's the hero it's the heroic path remember boston the boston bombings Mm mm-hmm do you remember the heroes of the people that are we, running you know, into the scene I, when again, everyone else is running out? Again, we automatically, we latched onto that. And it was that? just, it was, you know, this horrible thing happened. And the first thing we did, it was, I mean, mm-hmm. we helped. But we also look for heroes. We look for some source of hope. Yeah. And That's the only strength. thing that gets you through the yeah. tragedy is look at this story and look at this story. And they're everywhere. He, the cool thing about it is they're everywhere. That's why I like them because there's a hero story. There's three hero stories a day just on the news. Oh, definitely. And really, there's a hero story in every person if oh, you yeah. look hard no, enough, totally. which is a really cool thing. Yeah. In fact, look at James's hero story. He puts up with this every day, yeah. heroically. <laughs> and even when there's ailment and sickness on the other side yeah. of this table, I still come into work. Yeah. You do. Even when like stuff is flying over... <laughs> The screen Spittle, that you've made, yeah. yeah even those spittles, like trying to permeate your safe zone, even yeah. though you're you've got that mask and that breathing apparatus, you still even, are here. Even with that, I still come to work. It's incredible. <sighs> it's moving. I am is what it is. Oh, definitely. It's a very predictable story. That's why I've been doing this uh, power pose of hero is that stance what that is? this entire time. Yeah. Did you notice his power pose? Yeah. To oh, me, I you look it. like a mom that's mad. Oh, well, I was just trying to <laughs> boost really my testosterone. A really little mom. Is that what you do? Is that how you boost it? Yeah, yeah. and lower my um, whatever it's called cortisol levels. Yeah. Really, a TED talk you on stand that. and yep. you put your hands on your hips. <laughs> yeah, like mm-hmm. a like a mad mom that's telling yeah. you to get in here and clean your room. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the Wonder Woman pose, but what? Uh, Ooh, you know, if it I works, do it all the time. Yeah, you don't happen to have a uh, a um, lasso that's invisible, do you? I cannot disclose that information. I may or may not have an invisible vehicle as By well. By the way, she was my she was one of my heroes. <laughs> Wonder Woman. You guys don't even remember the show. I fell uh, in love with her. No. She flew a jet that was <laughs> that you couldn't see. It was a, it was a, what was it? It was a it was a jet that you couldn't see. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It was invisible. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a lasso of truth. 
Well, that gives that once you once the lasso was on you, you had to tell the truth. That gives you another reason to see the Lego movie because she yeah. appears in the Lego movie. Does she? Yeah. Do you know how many women would love a lasso of truth? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh Holy yeah. That would be sweet. Cow. See, that's why we don't hear about Wonder Woman anymore because Superman didn't want a lasso of truth. That little deviant superhero. Anyway, by the way, where's Mike Pond today? Talking of Superman superheroes, he is at class like he is most Tuesdays. Hmm. Okay. Good Sad day for. I mean, Matt we're taking that <laughs> on his word, but uh, he's not a class. Yeah, I didn't think so. That's why we need the lasso of truth. <laughs> if I had the lasso of truth, I would, I would get him. Oh, I would have killed Skyboy with that lasso of truth. Oh. It'd be interesting <sighs> to ask Mike when was the last time he got his hands on a javelin. Yeah, because javelin of truth. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be painful. <laughs> yeah, <well>. dangerous. <laughs> hey, catch the javelin of truth. Um, cool topic today: heroes out there in listener land. Do you have a hero? Think about your hero. Who's the person that you know you could maybe you could say truly you feel they are a full blown hero? They could be a war hero. They could be somebody that changed your life. They could be a mom that made it through as a single mom and raised your entire family. Who are the heroes in your life? That's the topic today. Again, trying to uh, help you get a leg up in this crazy thing called life. We're going to take a break. We're coming right back. Jessica's going to tell us about her hero. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're taking on the topic of heroes, trying to figure out uh, who are the heroes in your life, what makes a hero a hero. And we have a wonderful guest that will be here in a little bit uh, to talk to us about her new book, um, The Girls of Atomic City, which is the the story of uh, the it's the untold stories of the women who helped to win World War II. It's a fascinating tell and story and we're going to hear all of the interesting you know background and insight into those powerful women that got us through world war ii also um a little bit later in the show our own mark Waite's going to come in and um he now nobody loves a hero more than mark Waite. uh so we'll get into mark's hero stories as well but first jessica's here jessica is trying to um you've been working on your hero mm-hmm. now just for the sake of let's just not make it about matt today um don't let me be the hero today. Okay, just tell me a story of another hero other than me of, you know, somebody you revere as your hero. I just planned a whole block on you okay. and all the relationships that you have or the yeah. similarities that you have with Steve Carell. So now I have nothing. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I oh, don't. Oh, good. You have Sorry. something else. Sorry. Okay. You Sounds are close. a great man, but yeah. I'm Not I'm close to is, your real hero. Yeah, this is, she yeah. outbeats you a little bit. Of course. Um, so, Matt, when you send your kids to school... When yes. anybody sends their kids to school, they you just hope that they're okay. You're putting them in someone else's hands. Yes, you that's want true. them to be safe. Actually, when I drop them off, whatever, because <laughs> they're there. You, you're they'll gonna regret fine. saying Statistically, that. Statistically, they'll be fine, right? And then something like the Sandy Hook oh, Elementary. See, don't bring that. Up, I know that's just terrified even, even everybody in the nation. Yeah, horrible, horrible story. That was. Um, but from that, we got a really great hero. A hero? Who? Um, we got a many, right? This is, yeah, yeah. many, many. Um, this is one that really touched me. I, 
when you hear these kind of stories of people standing up in the worst of times, yeah. you question if you would, but but just the fact that somebody did is truly inspiring. So um, Victoria Soto was the first grade teacher who um, on that day, the killer, what Adam, Adam Lanza had just um, went into the first classroom, killing 15 students and two teachers in the first classroom. Mm. And then he entered her classroom and she had put all the kids in the closet. And then he asked her, where are the kids? Sick man. I can't even say that without just cringing. And she said that they were in the auditorium and he shot her and then he moved on. And he's not one of her students had died that day. But they would have been the second room he entered? Yeah. And not one died. They were all hiding in the... Right. Wow. And obviously, um, everybody who died that day was... They were all heroes. Yeah. And their families getting through that. The students working through the trauma, I'm sure, that that left on them. Everybody is... I mean, that, that sad situation brought out a lot of good heroes. But she... I. I decided that she was my hero just because I, the love that that teacher had for her yeah. kids. And, and, the, and those wits. She got them in the room. Right. Oh, yeah. That is, see, that's, and what's funny, did she wake up that day thinking, I'm going to be a hero today? Nope. She just, so most heroism is on the, it's just right there. It's in the moment. It's just yeah. right there in the impromptu moment making up something. Yeah. And it kind of, it digs down to your standards, your, what, how you truly, are feeling your virtue, yeah, and it's just incredible That's how cool. how That's a great you can stand up in those times. And I think that especially now when there's so many horrible things going on every day, yeah. it's it's stories like these that help us get back on our feet and say there are good people out oh, there, yeah. and I can send my kids to school and we'll be okay. That's why I like the Nobel Peace Prize, and I mean. They they honor people that are you know peacemakers that are out right making she actually, a difference. She did get um, the Presidential Citizens Medal. Medal. And there's scholarships set up for her and um, the where her dad is from, Bayamon, Puerto Rico, is planning to name a public facility after her. Um, so there's a lot That's of people cool. honoring what she did. That's what we do. We just, rightly yeah. so. Well, and we hold it out there and. I mean, that's what's so weird about the hero thing is because that's such an obvious. I mean, these guys that go to war and are throwing themselves on, you know, devices, explosive yeah. devices. Anytime you sacrifice your life, yeah. it's an obvious one. You're right. But then. But then there's just the other one that's everyday just. Everyday heroes. Yeah. I mean, when I I thought, I mean, I think all of us decided not to do our moms yeah. or our parents oh, yeah. because we thought everybody else was going to. So not, there's but those not, are obvious ones also. Yeah. They sacrifice their whole lives. So <laughs> automatic hero when you're well, a parent. Plus, it's the moms uh, at every football game when a kid just scored the touchdown, he turns and he's like, hi, mom. <laughs> it's always the mom. It's so, true. I mean, that's the cool thing. The hero could be anybody. Sometimes the hero needs to exercise a ton of incredible courage. Like Some, Victoria. Yeah. And sometimes they just need to, sometimes some of them just put their head down and just work. Mm-hmm. Or some are just magnifying a talent, um, a gift they have of maybe forgiving. There's the story of Chris Williams that's really popular here in Utah. Go, all you got to do is go look up Chris Williams on YouTube. And it's a story of a man whose wife, uh, unborn baby, and his wife's. Um, and his wife's belly died along with two other kids after a drunk driving teenage boy crossed the median and crashed into this family. So killed four members of his family instantly. Wow. 
And at the scene, Chris Williams forgives the boy. Wow. And like begs the cops to go tell the boy that the father of this family forgives him. So that's heroic. Forgiveness. I think forgiveness yeah. can. And that's huge. That's a so, heroic act. Totally it's heroic. It's not easy. Heroes. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to um, take a break. When we come back, we're get, we have a wonderful guest. Denise Kiernan will be joining us. She is the author of the book, The Girls of Atomic City, the untold story of the women who helped win World War II. Tons of wonderful stories there, as well as just an incredible spirit about uh, change and about heroism. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about heroes. If you needed to name, if I asked you to name a a hero from World War II that was a female, do you think you'd know any names of any female heroes from the World War II era? Hmm? Happen to know any? Just pop them out of the top of your head. Well, guess what? Denise Kiernan is going to be joining us right now. She is the author of the book, The Girls of Atomic City, the untold story of the women who helped win World War II. And uh, honestly, this this is an exciting thing for me because, A, I, don't, I couldn't name any, any females that uh, were heroes during that period. Um, even today, it's just during a war, we still, you know, it still doesn't seem like the women um, take as as front of a position, maybe, and maybe don't uh, end up having their stories as noticed. But today, we're going to be getting into the um, wonderful stories and lessons that we can learn from some of our um, quiet heroes, the ones we never hear about. Denise Kiernan is joining us. She has been working as a writer for nearly 20 years and has been published in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Village Voice, Miss Magazine, uh, Reader's Digest and Discovers, as well as many other publications. She also worked in television, serving as a head writer for ABC's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire during its Emmy Award-winning first season and producing for places such as ESPN and NBC. She's authored several popular history titles, including Signing Their Lives Away, Signing Their Rights Away, and Stuff Every American Should Know. Most recently, her book, The Girls of Atomic City, is now a New York Times bestseller, Los Angeles Times bestseller, and an NPR bestseller. Um, she is also recently named to the board of the Atomic Heritage Foundation. And you can go to her website, denisekiernan.com, to get more information about her book and her lives and uh, life and everything about her. Denise, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. And what a great topic. Now, this book, I personally, after looking through all your books, I want to go read the one we're going to talk about today, Girls of Atomic City. But for some reason, I'm drawn to the Indiana Jones Handbook. <laughs> Nerd alert. Nerd, Nerd alert. alert. <laughs> I just have to read the header on that. An inside look at Indy's greatest moves, feats, and cinematic exploits. Your guide to being the second best archaeology adventurer ever. <laughs> so just, you know, attempt at your own risk is all I'm going to say before you, you dive into that particular title. Yeah, because my wife would probably not like me bringing that home. <laughs> um, it's interesting because what you seem to do is you 
you dig in deep, don't you? You kind of jump into an area, a subject, and then I guess you just research it. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's you know everything starts uh, with me from a place of curiosity. Hmm. You know something something just sort of grabs my attention, and and I just love those stories where you find yourself thinking. Oh, I feel like I know this story. Oh, wait, what are those people doing over there? Yeah. What are they doing? You know what yeah, I mean? Those yeah. things that get you to kind of just look at things from a different perspective. That's what really stokes my curiosity when I'm looking for projects. Is that what got you into the Girls of Atomic City? I mean, of all, I mean, what a, there's a lot of history here none of us even know about. Yeah, you know, it, it's so it's so interesting how I came across that story. I got very lucky, actually. I was working on a, a completely different project, uh, a different book project, and I came across this very old photograph. And this was a photograph of this enormous room, and it was lined on either side with these crazy giant panels covered in all these knobs and dials and levers. And uh, in the sitting in front of these panels on stools were all of these really young women. And at first, the, the photograph just kind of caught my attention because I thought it was quite beautiful. But then I glanced over at the text, and it said these young women, many of them recent high school graduates from rural Tennessee, huh. are helping to enrich uranium for the world's first atomic bomb, only they don't know that. And I thought... <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, you know, <laughs> they're enriching in uranium. Yeah, they don't even it know it. DOE. It was in a Department of Energy newsletter. Okay. That I came across this, and honestly, the first thing I thought was, "Oh, you know what? I bet every. I bet this is one of those things that everybody knows about, and I just missed it. You know, it's just a <laughs> knowledge gap of yeah. mine." And so I started asking, you know, people I thought, you know, a couple history professors I knew and, and, you know, my husband and people I trusted. And, you know, I'd read a lot about the Manhattan Project, but, you know, really had just always looked at it the way most of us usually look at it, which is a very top-down yeah, kind right. of way. So so it's interesting. You, you have these groups of women working in—it was in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Is that where it was? Is that mm-hmm. where I saw it? And yep. um, they're enriching uranium, not probably knowing exactly what they're doing or where it's going. And, oh, no, yeah. And then you get in, you start reading more and more about it, and really it looks like what you really are by nature is just a storyteller. So you start uncovering a bunch of stories? Exactly. Once I, once I, I was convinced that I wasn't the only person in the world yeah. who didn't know about this, right. I... I realized, you know, it was only about a two-hour drive from my home in North Carolina. So I just got in the car and went over there mm. and thought, you know, I got to go, I got to go see what this place is like today. And I started to begin tracking down people still living in the town who had lived there and worked on the Manhattan Project in the 40s. And, you know, I would just, anybody who would give me the time of day, I would just sit down and pick their brain. And a lot of a lot of the women are still there. And once I, you know, kind of broke that initial ice, you know, everyone I met would say, "Oh, do you want to meet so and so? Can I bring you to, to coffee? There's going to be a bridge club meeting, you know." And I would kind of go wherever anyone would would have me and be generous enough to, you know, spend their time and, and share their stories. Because what I really wanted was 
I wanted this to be accessible. I didn't want it to be something that, you know, you felt like you had to have a Ph.D. in physics to, right. to read. I wanted it to be a really personal story, so I wanted the women to be able to carry it. Wow. Tell us some of the stories. Like, what did you learn? What did you find out about these women? Well, I was with the women that I eventually landed on to be my my main characters, you know, because I, I, I interviewed many more people than are actually in the book. Right. I wanted each of them to have sort of a different experience, work in a different part of Oak Ridge and be able to to give a, a different part of the story. And Celia, for example, who's the, the young woman who actually starts the book, uh, she had such an interesting arrival story because people were recruited from all over the country. And in Celia's case, she was actually working in the Manhattan Project offices in New York City, but she didn't know that. She just thought she had a nice government job. She was, you know, yeah. and she gets called in one day and asked, you know, we're going to move offices, we're going to move the headquarters, would you like to come with us? And she said, sure, that'd be great. Where, <laughs> Where are, are we going? going? <laughs> and they said, well, we can't really tell you that. Yeah. Um, but it's south of here. You know, she said, okay, um, you know, how am I going to get there if you're not going to tell me? And, you know, well, somebody's going to pick you up at your place and we're going to take you to the train and someone oh on the train is going to tell you when to get off. And then there's going to be a car who will take you. So there were there were all of these. They, they lived in this, you know, this guarded place. You know, there were guards and yeah. barbed wire and badges. Uh, like and, a big place. I mean, it, it, there was a lot of people. Seventy five thousand. Is that what you said? Well, when they actually, um, you know, there there are three main sites for the Manhattan Project: Oak Ridge, which is where my book takes place; Los Alamos, which is what yeah. we all think of when right. we think of the bomb; and Hanford uh, in Washington State. And Oak Ridge was the was the largest and most populous. And when they first started building it, they thought they'd have about thirteen thousand people living there. But by the middle of 1945, just not even three years after they, you know, broke ground. There were close to 80,000 people wow. living there, and they were using more electricity than New York City. <laughs> and course. it wasn't on a map, and it still wasn't on a map. Oh, my heavens. And no one could talk about what they were doing. Right. And, you know, which is so interesting, and it was amazing to me how they could train all of these people to do these very specific tasks, but they were only given just enough information to do their job and do it well. Mm. Um, what kind of what their job, how it fit into the rest of the scene, was never revealed to them. And you actually were you weren't supposed to ask questions either. That yeah. was that was not encouraged. It's so uh, interesting because you you had to have gone through so many stories, but you probably had to leave a lot of stories out. How did you Please. decide what to sift through and what to keep? Oh my gosh, it was. It was so difficult. Um, you become quite attached to certain people's uh, anecdotes and certain people's stories. Um, I did, as I said, I, I wanted a variety of perspectives. I didn't want women, all of whom worked in the same plant, for example. Right. Um, I also wanted, I wanted people who didn't just have, you know, one specific memory, but who still had, you know, sort of. A, a lot, a lot of different memories about their time there. Um, I wanted people who were there for, you know, more than one year because the book is basically arranged chronologically, and I wanted to be able to have the women be present throughout the entire book. Right. So I, you know, some people were eliminated because, you know, they came, you know, in in the middle of 1945 as opposed to, you know, the beginning mm -hmm. of 1944. 
Um, so those were some of the more practical reasons um, that, that people came out. And some of it's just chemistry with, you know, when you're interviewing people, you know, how how well they're doing, you know, with this particular, a lot of these people were in their 80s and 90s, you know, right. were yeah. they healthy? They, yeah, were they able to sit with me and, you know, talk, you know, for hours, you know, it, that was important too when you're when you're dealing with this particular generation, but it was it was still very very hard. It's such a great I mean, you know, the, it's the generation everyone's talking about. It's we're, we're all so proud of them. Um but you you saw kind of the behind the scenes stories, the ones that maybe weren't ever glorified and especially the ones you know, directly related to to so many more women. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about just the experience that the women were having during the war. I mean, they're they're back home, you know, they're maybe not out on the front, but they're back home with their hands, you know, deep into the potential ending of the war. Absolutely. Um, It was a very interesting moment in in history for women to this day now in the 21st century we all still recognize you know rosie the riveter as this you know wonderful uh symbol of women in the workforce and you know that's all born out of out of world war ii and there were so many men away fighting that women entered the workforce in numbers and in ways that they just never had before out of necessity. And this was as true for the Manhattan Project as it was for some other industries. So when we think about um, the Manhattan Project, you know, we often think about, uh, you know, the Oppenheimers and the Fermis and the Nobel Prize winners. And that's, uh, you know, obviously that's a very important perspective and very fascinating in its own right. But when you just think of, you know, tens of thousands of, you know, everyday folk like us, you know, just just trying to, you know, trying to make a living, trying to help out with the war. And, um, you know, without them, none of this, you know, none of this would have none of this would have happened. None of this would have would have moved forward. And so that actual that necessity to have women enter the workforce, um, you know, really, really kind of changed the course of history for a lot of women. And and what's interesting is, you know, when the war was over and a lot of men came back, a lot of women lost their jobs because, mm, you know, right. we, you know the, the jobs needed to be there. They wanted to give the jobs back to the soldiers who had left them behind, which, of course, makes, you know, makes sense. Right. What was interesting about the women who, some of the women who worked on in Oak Ridge was that they hadn't taken anybody else's job. The job oh, didn't exist uh, before. Int- yeah. And they were the only ones trained to do some of these things. So for some of them, you know, they were actually able to stay on because they had this unique experience and this unique skill set. How powerful. Isn't that it, – it, it's it, it's such a hidden time, too. And when we come back – we'll take a break, but we'll come back. I want to talk about how secretive this was. This was all so under wraps. Um, but then, I mean, here we are. They're they're creating the the nuclear bomb, the bomb that's going to to Hiroshima. I mean, they're they're part of that project, and um, yet it's so so quiet and the secret's so well kept. We're talking with Denise Kiernan, the author of the book "The Girls of Atomic City: The Untold Story of the Women Who Helped Win World War II." We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're talking heroes today on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the show today, we're talking about heroes and um, the power that uh, a hero can have in your life to, you know, to motivate you to change how you see things, sometimes just to save your life, right, or to step in when we need a hand. And our uh, guest today on the show is Denise Kiernan, who is the author of the book The Girls of Atomic City, The Untold Story of the Women Who Helped Win World War II. These were... uh, these were the women who were quietly hidden away um, and basically helped build our nuclear program, which led to the um, with the with the uh, the Manhattan Project and the Oppenheimers, and also in the end uh, led to Hiroshima. So, in a weird, quiet way, uh, women behind the scenes were were having a huge impact. Denise, welcome back to the show, and thanks so much for writing the book. Oh, thank you. It was a it was a fascinating, fascinating time working on this on this book. I mean, it really it is a it's it's an interesting thing because you also had to probably brush up on all of your scientific knowledge <laughs> and all of that information. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things where you even if you're not going to uh, include everything in in the book, you really have to make sure you have a a grasp of it yourself before right. you decide what you're going to share with the readers. Well, it's one of the things it seems like, um, and it seems like we're maybe evolving and, and understanding this a little bit more, but the women that back then and the minorities, you know, they were, they were dealing with inequality on a fairly regular basis. And mm-hmm. I know that that's a big part of, of what you end up talking about in this book. Definitely. This, it was interesting to me to, to just explore the the multiple facets of the the work experience for women and also um, for women of color, because you know on the one hand, as we were talking about before, World War II uh, presented these incredible opportunities for women in the workforce that hadn't been available right. before. However, it's not as though a magic wand were waved and all of a sudden yeah. there was you know there were no problems. Uh, anymore based on your gender or on the color of your skin. So I I did want to let the women, again, you know, in their own voices, through their own experiences, just kind of, you know, talk about that based on what they went through. Yeah. It it seems like as you were doing this, um, you probably heard stories. Like overall, did the women feel, did did they have fond memories of this time? Or, you know, was there some bitter, you know, some bitter pills to swallow? mixed bag, which I guess is what you would ex- expect from most people's life experiences. It was um, it was such a unique experience that even even the the women and men I interviewed who you know were you know who thought you know they wouldn't want to go you know go through that again. They yeah. still had some you know people I've met on the road who left Oak Ridge after the war was over. They still have very strong memories about being there, and it really represented a very unique moment in their life and in that in that sense you know it was kind of important to them someone like my you know my character Katie who's you know 96 now who's an African American woman this is a very challenging time for her you know she and her husband weren't able to live together as man and wife they weren't uh. able to bring their children to live with them um and you know she she made the best of it i mean it's certainly 
certainly hadn't been the first time in her life she had experienced, um, you know, discrimination. Uh, but it was still, nonetheless, you know, very difficult and a, and a painful time. Uh, but it was a sacrifice she made, you know, for a couple reasons. You know, one was that the pay was exceptionally good, yeah. she said, and that that was important to her because that enabled her she was sending more money home. Her children were living with her mother. She was sending more money home than she had ever been able to before. And she, too, felt good about the fact that, you know, she was working, you know, she was working to help the war effort. But there's certainly definitely, you know, there's definitely some sadness there and frustration at the treatment. Absolutely. It's because um, there really was also a, a great spirit of, uh, you know, working together and camaraderie that would come out. It, was, it wasn't that a theme that you heard a lot uh, throughout your interviews? We're all in it together. We're all in it in the same boat was something that people said an awful lot. And I, I think one of the things that was, um, you know, interesting for me to, to try to understand and certainly something that I think a lot of people, unless you unless you lived through World War II, I think it's challenging to really conceive how much that war touched every single person, every single life. You know, everybody knew someone yeah. who was away fighting, knew someone who had died, knew someone whose boyfriend was gone. There were rations and yeah. scrap drives. And I mean, there was every song on the radio was about the war. The comic strips were about the war. You know, it really touched every part of of everyone's life. And, uh, you know, it was just a very, it was a, it was really the unifying, uh, it was the unifying moment of, you know, of that generation. That, uh, it almost tells you that there's, there is, I guess, a silver lining, a blessing to the idea that, uh, of the trials of war, because it did bring us together. It created this, the concept of the greatest generation. And, um, plus just somebody, I mean, to know that as a country, you can pull together, and some in obscurity and in quiet little camps all around the country um, fighting the war their way. These, uh, the, all the people I, I, I interviewed, you know, they really did have this sense of wanting to, to do their duty. And also so many of them, you know, remembered what it was like to go through the Depression. That yeah. wasn't a very distant memory either. And so these were people who really had pulled through a lot, you know, together alongside their friends and yeah. their neighbors. And, you know, more than anything, they just really, you know, all, all the, almost all the women in my book had uh, Celia, Dot, Helen, Colleen. They all had brothers who were away fighting. Oh. They wanted them to come home, yeah. and they were happy to be able to help, no matter even if they weren't allowed right. to know how they were helping. <laughs> Did, uh, isn't, that's what's so amazing to me. They never were connected to the end. They didn't know quite what the end was going to be. They must that's have been. Right. It must have been mind blowing when they found out how connected they were. It really, it really was, and in it, it's sort of like mind blowing in in stages. Really, you know, it was. What I found so fascinating about interviewing these people is that it, you know, it really kind of occurred to me, and I wanted to try and capture this, is they really straddled two completely different worlds, a world with nuclear weapons and a world without nuclear weapons. Right. I don't know what it's like to live in a world without nuclear weapons. Yeah. They've been around, you know, they've been around the whole time I've That's been right. here. I've yeah. always known when I hear the phrase, you know, the bomb, I have, I know exactly what that means. And, and I have instant images that pop into my head. And there's this whole, you know, vocabulary that goes along with it. 
these people had never, there was no such thing. There were no fallout shelters or radiation right. sickness or nuclear winter. None of this, you know, existed. So, you know, it was, you know, the first sort of big shock was, we were the first layer of news really was there has been a big bomb a big bomb has been dropped yeah what and, does that you know, mean right yeah this is very this is very important there's a there's going to be an address from the president you know um it's some sort of super bomb blah 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 okay and you know this is this isn't surprising because they had been at war for years so you know they were getting news updates about bombings all the time and right. then then you, they listened to the radio address, you know, with President Truman, and towards the end of that address, he specifically mentions Oak Ridge, and they were just flabbergasted. Oh. You know, I wow. mean, because from in many ways they were sort of used to not, <laughs> to not, not yeah. knowing what they were doing. That's so, right. You That's know, on the amazing. one hand, they're like the rest of the country processing this new piece of news regarding the war. Right. But they've got this whole other thing to process now oh, yeah. that, um, oh. you know, changes. Yeah, that's huge. And the part that they played. We're talking with Denise Kiernan, the author of the book, The Girls of Atomic City, the untold story of the women who helped win World War II, uh, New York Times bestseller. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're talking heroes today on the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. Today, great topic, great discussion going on about heroes. We wanted to give you a chance to think about the heroes in your life and maybe even ask the question, are you a hero? You know, we always think of the heroes, the one that's out there on the front line, throwing themselves on a hand grenade, which totally they are, the heroes. There's also a lot of people behind the scenes. In fact, in our own personal lives, your mother may have been a hero. As a single mom, mine was, and she, you know, raised me from a pup and went out, had to go to work and uh, come back and hope that we hadn't burnt the house down. But why would we do that? No, instead we were just grating some cheese in a cup and then microwaving a cup and then drinking a cup of cheese. Um, sure, our arteries are hardened, but she's still my hero. So all of us have heroes and powerful sources uh, to look back. Um, and the funny thing about uh, some of the heroes that we're talking about right now with our wonderful guest, Denise Kiernan, uh, some of them are heroes that you didn't even know existed. They're the hidden heroes. They're called, the book's called The Girls of Atomic City. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's the untold story of the women who helped win World War II. Denise Kiernan is our, um, the author joining us, and she has been a writer for nearly 20 years, has published in big magazines like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Village Voice, Reader's Digest. She was also a head writer for ABC's show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?, which seems like you would just write a lot of questions. Uh, we'll ask her about that. During, uh, By the way, she was the writer during the Emmy's award-winning first season, and she's also been a writer for ESPN and MSNBC. But um, she's she's written a lot of books. If you go to her website, denisekiernan.com, you can get a look at a lot of those. 
And again, her book, The Girls of Atomic City, is a New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and an NPR bestseller. It's also the Matt Townsend Show Book of the Day. Hero Book of the Day. Denise, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Great to be back. Really good to have you. Um, As you're talking to us and teaching us about the forgotten history, and I mean, there's a lot of stories that um, have gone untold from the, the, the people of Atomic City. Why do, you think, uh, why do you think we haven't done more with all this history? That's a that's a great that's a great question. And you know, I'm um, when I was out on tour for the hardcover, and I'm, I'm getting ready to go out on tour for the um, the paperback now during Women's History Month. And oh, there you go. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me that, and you know, I just think that we have, and this is just my opinion. I think we have a tendency when we look at events to look at whoever the quote-unquote important people were. Who were the people in charge? Who were the people out front? Who were the people who knew it all? And yet, I mean, what I always find so interesting um, as as a reader and, you know, just as a human is, you know, thinking about, all of, of the people, you know, the, the everyday people going about their business who were involved in some of these larger events. And I'm always fascinated by people who just find themselves in a certain place at a certain yeah. time in history and get caught up in events so much larger than themselves. And, you know, on a personal level, it, it I try to remind myself, you know, don't you know, pay attention, you know, look around. You could, you're a part of more than you realize in in so many ways in your life. It's, um, I love that. I love that idea that, I mean, a lot of us are in that moment that you were just explaining, uh, you know, kind of where, where our skills, our talents line up with the need. And there's this perfect moment to step in and to be a hero. Um, because you've written other books, right? I mean, you've written books about um, American history and the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the Declaration of Independence. What do you see as different, or or can you parallel what you learned from these women in Tennessee who were working, you know, in the Manhattan Project unknowingly? What what do you see are the ties between some of the other books you've written? You know, one of the things, uh, probably the most prominent parallel is is similar to what I've what I've been speaking about. You know, one of the motivations for uh, the history book about the signers of the Declaration of Independence, for example, was that whenever we talked about that group of individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence, we have a real tendency to talk about basically five of them. Right. <laughs> you know, no, we exactly. About, you know, we talk about Franklin, we talk about Jefferson, and let's be honest, you know, most people talk about Sam Adams because of beer. That's know? right. That's right. There, you know, there's so many, but still it's really, you know, it's really a handful of, of, of people that we talk about. But 56 men signed that document, 56 of them. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the things behind doing that collection of biographies was to explore who who were these who other were these guys? People, right. and, you know, a lot of them were 
a lot of them were, you know, some of them were farmers. Some of them were large landholders. You know, some of them had had started their lives in in America as indentured servants. Yeah. You know, so I was, again, sort of fascinated by who were these other people making their contributions, but not necessarily, you know, getting getting the glory. Yeah. And, you know, again, this wonderful lesson that, we should feel good about the contributions we make in our lives, whether or not we get that, you know, 15 minutes of, of fame that people, you know, can be obsessed about chasing sometimes. What what did you learn about, um, you must have fallen in love with some of these people when you spend enough time with them. Um, <laughs> what, what were some of the relationships that you kind of forged and what were some of the other stories or lessons that just stand out that you're so, that, you know, makes you so grateful you had this chance. You know, I um, I have become quite over the years become quite close with uh, you know some of the some of the women and men that I interviewed. Um, one of the difficult things about you know working with you know people in their 80s and 90s is that you know I've lost a couple friends already yeah. since I since I started working on the books. But you know, Colleen, who's one of my main characters, we email all the time. Uh, you know, I've seen her, I've seen Virginia, I've seen, I've seen Dot, and you know, now we all just kind of sit around and just chat and catch up, and they fill me in on their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids because yeah. they have so many. And you know, what I find interesting and really what I love is that now this book has given them this really wonderful celebrity in their town and they'll host um they'll host signings oh, at great. the local coffee shop oh i so love you'll it have these you know this group of of you know 89 80 and 90 year old women sitting there with copies of my book and they're signing on the pages where their where their names are mentioned and people come up and you know introduce themselves and i i love that they're getting mm. this kind of attention yeah. i just I, they deserve I it, it so heartwarming. Oh, yeah, they totally deserve it. Because, you know, when I first approached some of these people, a lot of them, when I would go up and say, you know, I'm working on this project, you know, would you mind if we spoke, etc., so many of them said, oh, you don't want to talk to me. I don't know anything. Yeah, I'm not interesting. I'm not interesting at all. You know, that, that oh, yeah. was the gut reaction. And yet, and, they're, they're, they create this story. They 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 round it out for you, don't they? They oh, it's they're fascinating, and I think it's so important. As you know, we all have, you know, we all have, you know, those of us who are lucky to, enough to know our grandparents or you know aunts and uncles and and etc. And everybody has many many interesting stories to tell. And you know, whenever I give talks, I, I like to encourage people to find out about, you know, local oral history programs and to, you know, sit down with the with the older, especially the older generation mm -hmm. of your family and friends and just turn on and a listen. recorder and see what they have to say well, about what their life was like. Don't you remember? I mean, that's how you did it. Back in the day, you'd go to grandmas and grandpas, you'd watch Lawrence Welk. When it was <laughs> over, they'd turn it off and you'd just huddle around in a circle and hear all the stories. That's right. Now we that's just kind right. of all sit with our iPads and our heads yeah. down. So sad. It's very true. It's so, very true. so we, sad. You know, all these wonderful, I sit there and I think about all these, you know, letters and documents that I, that I found in, you know, in the archives. And I think, wow, you know, what are we, are we saving precious emails? You yeah. Know, how are those oh, going to be, you know? Can you imagine? Yeah. How are you going to archive that? And yeah. I mean, unless you're a president, you're not saving any of it. 
on a personal level. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Talk about for a second, um, what does the story mean to us today? I mean, even as we were doing the news in between the show, we were talking about the radiation that was coming from the Japanese nuclear plant that was destroyed in the tsunami. And um, but what is what are the lessons that this, this should teach us today? Um, that's a, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I think one of the things I would say is that um, one of the reasons I thought it was important to examine this moment in history from as many different perspectives as possible is because nuclear weapons and nuclear medicine and nuclear yeah. energy all continue to impact our lives today. Right. Like you said, it's in the news today. Yeah, this and in order day. for us to really make informed decisions and to understand, you know, these significant events today, I really do think we um, owe it to ourselves to have a, a balanced and firm grasp of all aspects of the actual history. And so I just think the more that you can, you know, enrich and add layers to the history of the development of not just the weapons, but also the energy and um, the medical applications. I think the more you can understand the roots of that, I think it can only, you know, help inform uh, inform decisions that, that we make today. Yeah, it seems so powerful. Just the Manhattan Project was thrown together, so secretive, but there's something powerful knowing that a group of people with a very fixed focus could could do something. I mean, in the end, I mean, it was very destructive. It also ended a war. And um, it's powerful to know that as humans, you can put your your minds together and create something, isn't it? Oh, imagine if we imagine if we decided this is it. We're ending hunger. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's it really is. It is phenomenal what they accomplished because of that unifying that that unifying moment and because of that that singular focus yeah. and you know there are many ways that could be applied what's uh, as we wrap this up we always like to talk about the one thing that is the big thing so if, if you if you had to kind of wrap up your book again the, the books the girls of atomics of atomic city the untold story the women who helped uh, the untold story of the women who helped win world war ii um, if you had to wrap it up in, into one maybe lesson, one point that you think that you want all of your all of the listeners and the readers of the book to take away, what what is that one thought? That everyone's uh, everyone's experiences and everyone's perspectives on and everyone's roles in historic events should be taken into account and given the given the proper respect. Hmm. I mean really. Cuz think of how much we've lost just by only knowing about 5, you know, uh, of the signers of the constitution instead of or you know, or of the declaration of independence. Of only knowing a few of the stories instead of knowing all of them or more of them. It's powerful. It's just it just it adds again those 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 layers and those perspectives that really just enrich those historical moments for all of us. Powerful stuff. Denise, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. So enlightening. And everybody, go check out her website, denisekiernan.com, K-I-E-R-N-A-N. Look up the book, The Girls of Atomic City, The Untold Story of the Women Who Helped Win World War II. 
So appreciate it. We're going to take a break. Again, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking heroes. Who are the heroes in your life? Uh, Are you a hero? Are you willing to step up, do what needs to be done? Have you ever just timed it so perfectly to be there in order to, you know, facilitate or aid somebody, make their lives a little bit easier? That's the goal of today's show. Give you the hope, maybe a little drive to find the hero in you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking heroes. Everybody's got a hero, right? Uh, so who, you know, we wanted to ask Merritt, who is her hero? Merritt, you could pick anyone on earth to be your hero. I could, You yes. could pick James. I, yeah, It's possible, yes. He was on my, you know, short list. Was he on but, the short list? Top yeah. 20. <laughs> so who'd you finally pick? Um, I picked a gentleman. We're going to go even farther back in history. Really? So we're yeah. going to go back to, like, Cosby. <laughs> no. Or further back. Further back. Okay. No, we're going to go to uh, the year 1800 is when wow. all this was going down. Okay. Um, this man's name is William Wilberforce. Okay. And Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. A very, very British name. Yes. Um, He was a really cool dude, and he has been my hero for a very long time. I did uh, book reports about him all through junior high and high school. How did and you I've even find him? Um, Through some history books and things like that, and then there was a very uh, – movie that came out called Amazing Grace. Okay. Um, it was a really s- small release movie, um, but it was very well done, directed by Michael Apted, who's a film great. Okay. And uh, anyway, and that movie really touched me, and so I decided to delve even deeper. I think I was 13 or 14, and I read a whole biography on William Wilberforce. Wow. He's a very inspiring person, and for Teach some us reason, about him, because he yeah. got to me. How come I've never, I've um, never heard of William Wilberforce? Yeah, this is you know, how out of the it's because we're American. But okay. uh, he was really cool. He was born on in 1759, a long a time year. ago good in year. England, um, and he kind of grew up really wealthy and privileged. His dad died when he was little, but he had another father figure in his grandpa, and he went to school at Cambridge and wow. basically lived a pretty, you know, great normal life, having everything he possibly could have wanted. Um, in his university days, he was very popular. Everybody loved him. He was Willie. always super charismatic. They called him Wilbur, actually. Oh, did they? That is, uh, yeah. See, that wouldn't go fly today. No. Um, he, but he was very charismatic and witty, and it could be super biting with his humor, and everybody just loved him. Cool. He was this super fun guy. Um, he basically got anything he wanted because he was really good at talking. But when... Later in his, I think the last year in his university experience, and he um, he started to kind of think that maybe this wasn't the best thing to be doing, to be partying and just kind of having yeah. whatever you want. I mean, he didn't have to work because he had all of his father's right. money and it was no big deal. And he was an aristocrat. But he um, got into parliament and um, started working on things there and um, spent a few years in parliament. He was really good friends with William Pitt, the younger, who is mm-hmm. the, the youngest British prime minister Ever really, like, even till now, he's he has been the youngest, and um, yeah, so he worked in the parliament. And um, after a few years working in the parliament, he they kind of call it his great awakening. He had a turn of a, a mind 
switch. His frame of mind completely changed, 180. And he um, started to return to religion. He had been a bit religious when he was a kid, and he realized that he needed to do something good in the world. Partier to politician to to religion. He was really convinced that he was going to quit everything. And he was a wildly successful politician. Wow. Like I said, he, he's really mm-hmm. good at talking. But um, he was one of the great orators of yeah. you know history. But he was really convinced that he wanted to just drop it all and become a minister and just do good wherever he could. He wow. was that devoted to the idea. And um, luckily for humanity, he was convinced otherwise. William Pitt and some other politicians, some other uh, human rights activists, came with <laughs> kind of bullied him into yeah. uh, switching his frame a little bit. But he um, decided he was persuaded to, instead of quitting, to lobby for the things that he believed in. And one of those things was the abolition of the British slave trade. Holy cow. Yeah. Huge. And at that time, the British slave trade was completely, I mean, it was one of the cores of yeah. the economy. And so many towns depended on it. And so to say that we should get rid of it was basically saying, you know, yeah. we should get rid of yeah. half the people's income and yeah. we should Shut get rid of four towns. Every, all, and yeah. It was a really dangerous thing to say, but obviously he knew that slavery was wrong and he wanted to fight against it. That's good. Um, and he did. And it took 18 years. Of him fighting. Yes. And he basically started being the only person in parliament who really was all gung-ho about this. Um, and after the 18 years, they, you know, passed. What were they all thinking when William Wilberforce uses all of his clout yeah. to go after this thing that everyone <laughs> thinks know, is like suicidal? There was a lot of opposition. That is but, amazing. Though. Yeah. And he just he went out and did it. And at the same time, um, he got married. Um, to Barbara Spooner. It was totally devoted to her Spooner, there. Spooner, which is where the word spooning uh, came from. You know, sure. But uh, they were very devoted and had that. a very involved family life. But not only that, but he also was battling a disease that is now believed to be ulcerative colitis. Oh, wow. Which is a oh, wow. very severe gastrointestinal. Yeah. Basically, your body is attacking you, and it's very painful. And he just kept working. He refused uh, medication because at that time it included lots of opiates. And yeah. He didn't want to be involved in that. Anyway, so he worked his whole life doing that, and he abolished the slave trade. How many lives changed? Exactly. And um, even if, uh, a few months before he died, they abolished the in, in slavery in general in So he was alive when, when they abolished it? Yeah. What great. Can you imagine the news yeah. for him? Yeah, it was this amazing, yeah, amazing thing. And um, so I was trying to think, I mean, like, why I like this guy. He's obviously very interesting. Sure. But... Uh, I think the reason that he, his story speaks so much to me and why he's so much of a hero to me is because he was not compelled at all to do what he did. He was living this life that yeah. other people totally wanted. Oh, he fat and he happy. was popular. Yeah. He, you know, everybody loved him. He had tons of money. He had not a care in the world. Yeah. There was nothing in his life that really would force him to do what he did. And he wasn't compelled in any way to change his life and basically ruin his health to abolish the slave trade. Um, and I think I find that inspiring. It's I, I haven't I've had a pretty privileged life yeah. myself. I haven't ever, you know, gone through something so hard that I feel compelled to do something good. And Isn't so, that interesting? He kind of went up in tears because he started as a student, you know, partying and having fun or whatever, but then got to a politician. You know, that's a yeah, great calling. He was doing some good, yeah. yeah. Then uh, – potential, um, you know, 
what was he going to be like a pastor, um, yeah. or a religious leader, for the a Methodist bishop. Church, yeah. Um, then decided there might even be a higher calling. But it's interesting. He knew he had a calling. So he, he kind of kept and, he kept looking for the calling. Yeah, and he just kept fighting for it. And in the meantime, he was also doing a lot of good just um, in society in general. He That's worked huge. really hard on um, – he founded the, Soci- the Royal Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, and he also worked with several other foundations that um, taught children good hygiene, reading – and um, help them participate in religion. And anyway, so he That's just neat. devoted his entire life to doing good. And I have a quote by him yeah, that we should it. end with. Um, this was from one of his speeches after he had been accused. He said, if to be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable f- fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Feelingly alive. Yeah. Love so, it. yeah. Well he, done, Mara. Man. Yeah. Isn't that cool? And you know what else is neat is there's kind of this... There's this, he he found a spiritual side to it too. Oh, so this was, so his so part of the key to being a hero, I guess, is at some point you maybe need to tune into being willing to change, mm-hmm. change the plan. Definitely, maybe you know, you know, make yourself a little uncomfortable and get out there. That's awesome. Yeah, and become a fanatic. Come on, <laughs> good work, Merritt. Well done, well done, excellent hero update. We're gonna take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna be interviewing my hero. Mark Waite is going to be joining us. Mark uh, is from Classical 89 here at BYU Broadcasting. He also is the BYU Radio Show host for Through the Garage Door. He also drags uh, Don Shaline through that, makes sure that Don can keep his job uh, by keeping him on the air. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. everybody to the Matt Townsend show today we're talking heroes you know everybody's got a hero Lone Ranger used to be my hero on TV loved the Lone Ranger and Tonto what was that silver you can't have both pick pick one no I mean the whole I like the whole team it was the whole team joined by the way by Mark Waite uh he's also my hero because he's what we call the headset hero here at, at BYU Broadcasting nobody has more headsets than Mark Waite and you got me the ones that I love now. I'm so glad. It's taken years to find a pair of head, uh, headphones. I like these, except they're just not. Like They don't look cool. They're just so no, they're very they're cool. Green they have a they're Rastaf- Rastafari. Yeah. There's skull candy on the side. Mm-hmm. But And they're light. They're airy. And I don't sweat when I wear them. The rest of them are just like, you know, wearing you, a heater. You have sweaty me. ears. I do. It's a That's a syndrome. It's a syndrome. It is because I have I'm febrile with a cold with my cold. So uh, heroes, you got a hero, Mark? Well, I mean, obviously you. We're starting with yeah. you. The problem is that I don't know whether to merely admire right. you as a hero, or if it really is crossing over into hero worship. And I'd like to just I'd like <laughs> yeah, to draw no, the I think distinction. That's a great, it's a great distinction between admiring heroes and well, worshiping them, and what the motive is for that. I think the way you know when you've crossed the line is when you're standing by my car after work, <laughs> and you're just standing there. What about when I'm hiding in the back seat after that, work? Even, yeah, <laughs> that's more like the hero worship, and that's a little creepy. That's, that's creepy. That's, too, that's over the line. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to stop That's doing I that. Always, I always look for you. I always make sure you're on air when I leave because I want to hurry and get out there. Um, it's it's an interesting thing because we brought up earlier that it may be you want to have role models, but heroes can be different. Heroes are different. A hero seems to be like a, a, a this major kind of event, this this groundbreaking thing versus a role model is somebody that should constantly be trying to improve your life. Do you think there's a May, difference? Maybe the well definitely, but the maybe the distinction is between notoriety and obscurity. Oh sure. Um, like moms and dads role models maybe. Right, because well, I just I have a problem with the older I get and the more uh, persnickety I get. So when you're 35 now, the, <laughs> the more annoyed I get with celebrity worship. Yes. It's out of control. Totally. And it's getting worse and worse. And you can't go to a news website without what without at least one story right. on what I classify as celebrity beach bodies yeah. and baby bumps. <laughs> if a paparazzo <laughs> has taken any person of notoriety, if yeah. he's been able to get a picture of them on the beach, it's major news. Yeah. It's splashed oh, across yeah. all the pages. Or if any... A well-known person happens to be pregnant, and they have a baby bump, and we get that on camera. That's the biggest news. What's happening in the Middle East? We'll take a back seat. Baby bump to the photograph of the celebrity beach bodies and baby baby bumps, and that's just indicative of of how it's out of control. But think of how important it is. Because we deify these people, so if right. the That's deity the has got a baby bump, then you got a baby baby deity. You got to make yes. it. You got to make it. They they call that yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we we've been worshiping royalty. I mean, mm-hmm. so this isn't a new thing. No. It just feels like it's getting worse because of the. Well, internet. it almost feels like they they actually have less reason to be. To, to be worshipped. Like, I mean, some people actually could... I mean, if somebody did something you mentioned phenomenal... The Car- you mentioned the Kardashians earlier. And right. They're, they're oh, exactly. famous for being okay, famous. Yeah, right? well, and everyone always wonders, so what are you? Well, they're famous, famous for being famous. Right. And Bruce Jenner used to be famous remember, for something well, Now, do you remember him when he was the yeah, bomb? Yeah, yeah, the de- decathlon. Yeah. And now he's famous for botched facial surgeries. <laughs> right. See, but that's so sad. And then we have all of these other, um, you know, real... Uh, what do they call them? Real... Reality shows. So all these people can become famous just because you went on and you played Survivor. I was flipping through the channels. I've, not, I've got Google Fiber as of last week, which Congrats. is epic. Is it amazing? Huge. Oh, huge. is it? Wonderful. I have like every channel in the universe now on my TV. <sighs> and I was flipping through, and there are reality shows. Because there are so many channels, there are now so many opportunities for yeah. so many shows about so many obscure people. and But they always go for... The ridiculous. Yeah. Like here, here's this whole reality show about people who like to hunt ducks. Here's a whole <laughs> reality show about people who own a uh, a car repo business that that tow cars away. Yeah. and there's they're like going three to of those. they're yeah. going to go in and find the controversy. They're going to manufacture conflict yeah. and make it but seem they're like they're famous. They, These people are famous. Yeah. Maybe they deserve it. Maybe maybe well, I'm complaining against the wrong thing because maybe I should be celebrating this glorification of the common man. But uh, why, the, the question for me, and I want you to answer this for me, okay. and I want a definitive statement. Let me get my book out. Why are we so determined to idolize these normal people, to deify them, mm-hmm. as you say, 
It's it's uh, it is idolatry. Totally. And it, it's, you know, that's whether a great whether way you're whether you're a couple thousand years ago and you make yeah. a golden calf, right. you know the golden calf yeah. is just a lump of something, yeah. and you know it can't do anything mm. for you. Right. And we know that Kim Kardashian can't doesn't know no. she doesn't know no. me. She can't no. do anything for me. She isn't going to make my life better. So why is there that deep seated human mm. inclination? Because we to worship these people don't know who we are. So we're all looking for an identity, something that will bring peace. And yet what we look for to bring peace can't bring, can't bring peace. Our profits won't make, our, like the money we make won't, make won't bring the peace. The people won't bring the peace. The things we put us, around us won't bring the peace. We're all looking beyond the mark. Beyond but, me? Yeah, beyond the mark. Wait. <laughs> We're all looking beyond you, Mark. But it's, it, I, I, so notice you looking like, over my shoulder. Right over I was shoulder. very uncomfortable. But it's, what it is is we don't. We think our. We think it matters. The things are what matter. But in reality, the things. The don't golden matter. calves. The yeah. golden calves. For me, the iPad. You know, oh, my yeah. golden iPad. If they would make one out of gold. You're, that would really be. Well, awesome. don't don't test them. They're gonna. I'm sure they'll it's, do it. It's they'll in, do it. It's for in you. The but I think you're onto something because that's. It, it's important. And it's every generation though. This has gone on since the beginning of time. The you know if if there's a tragedy in the news and it's all about media coverage it's all about yeah. is it famous is it well known right. if there's a tragedy in the news everyone total strangers will show up in mass <laughs> with their candle in the paper cup for the candlelight vigil yeah fine yeah but the thing is every time that happens I think you know there's all sorts of tragedies in the world people suffering that are not making the news no. and it's there is no notoriety so where's their candlelight vigil they i'm not i'm it. not being you know it's not no. sour grapes for those who are getting this right, vigil right because it is good for people to come together but uh, it's all about what did i see it on tv yeah. then it matters no see we hear it once so we'll hear the hero story of some person that did something amazing and phenomenal and you hear it once and then that star fades but we never. But like, there's some people who have done something heroic that we need to hear about. We need to hear it again. We well, need that's to hear what Denise was talking exactly. about, right? I mean, and so here are these people working in obscurity, not obscurity in yeah. total secrecy, exactly. which, is, exactly. which is worse than obscurity. Right. And they're just doing it because this has to be done. Yeah. I'm going to pull up my my bootstraps and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to get that done. Now that is where we should admire. We yeah. do need heroes in that sense, that we need somebody who is an example of bravery, of getting things done, that we can go, hey, look, that person accomplished right. something. Maybe I can accomplish something yeah. good, too, yeah. and use that example as a springboard for my own uh, efforts. Yeah. But if it's just obsessing over baby bumps and beach bumps, well, it's like and that's you, where it's, it's all gone crazy and astray. Have you heard of Honey Boo Boo? Yes, I have. Have you heard of I'm ashamed uh, that I've even heard of it, but I mean, <laughs> Snooki, to even turn Snooki? on the TV. Yeah. She had a baby. You, you're you're inundated. You I, I mean, know. you would have to be a hermit and turn off the TV and stop looking at your yeah. computer. Otherwise, you're going to know about these people because you're inundated with the inane. But see what's funny though, the news, they're smart too. So they they, you know, they'll there's the honey boo boo story or whatever. But they'll usually put on a really good feeling story. So I have a couple that um, I visit on a weekly basis, monthly basis, that just celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Okay, they made it 75 years married, happily. Now, not everything was perfect, but to me, And they're still getting heroic. counseling? Yeah, yeah, they're still in trouble. No, they're <laughs> You're friends. the one that's kept them together they're all friends. this time. No, they're just friends. They're just oh, okay. friends. But they're 97, I think, and 90, 
four or something. So you should put that on your resume. That totally. You've, you've that kept them we, together for I put, 75. I kept one together. For, and then the last 10 years are always the hardest. <laughs> so that's where I helped them. Um, but what's amazing, so I called the news station because I'm kind of connected there. And I said, I got a great story that you really ought to get on the news. It's a feel-good story, but it's based on principle. And this guy can teach you, you know, some keys that he's found to living 75 years with another person. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, let's do that. That sounds interesting, unless something more interesting comes up. But what's interesting is what they put on wasn't more interesting. It was just more sensational. It was probably more sensational. Yeah. So they, they opted for sells. the sensational, which is why I think Kardashian gets in and Jenner. Versus, and, you know, and the there are the media savvy people who know that. Look, and I guess we've probably talked about this before on the show. Um, all I have to do to manipulate the media is to do outrageous things, and the more outrageous I do them, the Justin Bieber's yeah. and the Lindsay Lohan's, the more outrageous I am. Therefore, I'm guaranteed to stay in the media eye, and the more I stay in the media eye, the hotter the property I am, and therefore, the more marketable I am, the more money I make. So, lesson learned, be as crazy, do the craziest stuff you can, and you'll be rich and famous. Can you imagine, like, some of the greatest generation looking at some of these young punks and thinking, I mean, think about what some of these people did for this country. Right, and then what Denise was talking about. And then all Um, of a sudden, you've got other people that are mad because they can't smoke marijuana in a hotel without getting arrested. Well, I I hate to sound like a curmudgeon, and I know that the world is getting better in so many ways, yeah. but there's some things that are just yeah. really annoying. This is the principle. This is where we're losing the principle. Who's your hero? Give me a hero. Somebody well, that aside you, from other you. Than me, uh, other than me, Well, and James. Um, well, I... I have heroes and people that I know. My dad has cool. been gone for 13 years mm. next month. Um, you know, miss him terribly. I bet. And uh, what do you miss? We're What's... pretty thin. Uh, pretty thin beyond that. I, you that, know, well, see, I, but honestly, who? What a great honor to have your the one you your hero is your dad. I'll tell you somebody who who I don't know personally is Thomas S. Monson. I was uh, going on my LDS mission. I was in the. Uh, uh, Chicago airport with my companion, just sitting on a stone bench, looking down over the international incoming passengers, completely, di- you know, yeah, freaking out. We hear this booming voice behind us. Looks like a couple of Mormon missionaries. He didn't have to stop. Oh, we man. wouldn't have seen him go by. He did stop. Thomas we, Monson is Thomas the president of the Church of Jesus Christ right. of Latter-day Saints. Um, and he, he sees you guys, and he, he sees us. He he spends one minute with us you know he he yeah. i have big fairly yeah. big hands yeah. his hand is like just enveloped about yours. yeah about th- his <laughs> hand wrapped around mine about three times. times and just you know to have that connection An- another time i was i was at a byu devotional in this giant congregation of 20,000 people and uh, at the end I, I sat over by where i he was here and he was going to be leaving uh, so I sat over by where he was going to be leaving because I was just feeling kind of down yeah. that day. And I was wearing the sweatshirt that said Germany on it. And so as he was leaving after his talk, he looks up, you know, and I'm I'm about 10 rows up. He's just looking at the crowd <laughs> and he sees this. He looks at me and says, Germany, all right, and gives me the thumbs up. And I, I melted. Oh, how neat is that? Now, yeah, yeah. That's, that's hero worship. Yeah. He's a celebrity. Yeah. He's famous. Well, but, um, you, but you also can respect. But he was connecting yeah. with me yeah. as an individual. Yeah. And, and he, you know, I was kind of depressed that day. It made my day. Made your day. 
So people cool. can have a huge impact on others. The question is whether they're having a responsible mm. impact, a positive impact, yeah. and, and making their lives better. Anyone can impact you. Yeah. But you, you wouldn't call it a hero. You yeah. call him, that could be annoying. So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a favorite. That is neat. Man. Because he's See? a people person. Well, that's why you're my favorite now. Because I, you know, I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid to, well, you're to make those. Yeah. But he's out there. He likes people. It's obvious. Yeah, you that don't he, like people. He likes people. And so I like him. You're so <laughs> full of it because you really do like people a lot. You always come on and you act like you don't have anything to bring, but you bring some seriously good stuff every time. I, I don't even care that you're a curmudgeon and you're anti-people. It <laughs> seems like you people. wouldn't. It seems like you wouldn't no, make the show. I'm all up with people. You like people, and you know. I like. Uh, here, here's the thing. I there's a handful of people I'm crazy about. Yeah, I'm very devoted to a handful of. People. Uh, by the way, Beyonce is one of those. <laughs> And her baby bump. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm all on pins and needles. Is she pregnant right now? I don't know. Probably. Probably. What's with a baby bump? I've had a baby bump my whole life. I have a food bump. I, I have a, I'm, I have yeah. a food baby right now. Mine's, mine it's is a, a baby bump because I got mine after we started having babies. And it's a bump. It's more than a bump. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little hill. It's a, it's a, a hillock, mound. A hillock. A hillock? Hillock. It's like a little hill, isn't it? Is it? I yeah. don't know. You're the one with the vocabulary. I, I, I. Wow. Mark, wait. Did it again. Um, hey, thanks for uh, working so hard on your show through the garage door. Because honestly, I'm worried. That. I'm worried that if if you don't keep that together, Don's gonna let it slide out from under <laughs> you. No, this was his baby. He started it. You guys are good. Rock and roll. Uh, do you have a rock and roll fan favorite? Hero? Not hero, but. Somebody okay. If you had to, if you could meet one rock and roller, Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. He really? used to be of Dire Straits. Now he's a solo artist. He's fantastic. He's great. You see, he just pulled some guy out of obscurity. Well, he's not very. Never obscure. heard of the guy. Well, I mean, I mean, Dire he, Straits. You've heard of? Yeah, Dire Straits. Yeah, he was the head yeah. guy. For, now he's just solo. Yeah, I mean, years ago, I'm sure he had a huge name. It's just catching up with you. Um, good job, Mark. Appreciate you. My hero. Still my hero. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're going to wrap up the show. Hero Talk. Be thinking, who are your heroes? And are you someone's hero? You think that's possible? I mean, we probably shouldn't be shooting to be a hero, but we should probably be shooting to have the principles, the integrity, the fortitude, the caring, the presence to be there for the people around us. I think that's eventually what will create heroes in our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're wrapping up our show today on heroes. We've kind of gone around the table here, around the horn, trying to share the, our favorites, you know, who's impacted our lives the most. Uh, we haven't heard from Mike Pond, who is um, apparently away on location um, doing something. And so he put together a story about one of his heroes, uh, a, a really strong, powerful athlete that uh, ended up saving a lot of lives. Moments of glory are just that, moments. But what we choose to do in those moments can have a lasting impact on us and those around us. A hero, someone who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements or noble qualities someone who acts in a moment of glory 
Today, we're going to paint the portrait of a hero. I'm Mike Pond, and this is Brain Bites. Shavarsh Vladimirovich Karapetyan, a name made famous by a Soviet-Armenian champion swimmer, 11-time world record holder, 17-time world champion, 13-time European champion, and 7-time USSR champion. He is well known worldwide for his athletic accomplishments, but is better known in the former USSR for what he did one cold morning. September the 16th, 1976, a day that he would never forget. He was running alongside the dam in Erevan, Armenia with his brother Kamo. They were running the last stretch of their usual 12-mile route. when all of a sudden, a large trolley bus carrying 92 passengers lost control and flew off of the road into the freezing water. The bus sank to the bottom of the reservoir approximately 30 feet down and 70 feet from the shore. Without a second of hesitation, Shavarsh leapt into the freezing water. He swam down to the bus and used his feet to break the back window. Most of the passengers had fallen unconscious during impact. Shavarsh would dive down, grab a passenger, and take them to shore, while his brother Kamo took care of the injured on land. Shavarsh spent nearly 20 minutes in the water and completed almost 30 dives. One by one, he saved more than 20 lives. Unfortunately, not everyone that he pulled out survived the ordeal. Bystanders who watched said that Shavarsh's feet and back were covered in glass shards. After his 30th dive, Shavarsh lost consciousness. This act of courage would cost him dearly. He incurred heavy two-sided pneumonia and blood contamination from the polluted water. Doctors were unsure if Shavarsh would ever recover. His life hung by a thread as he lay in a coma for 46 days. He finally recovered but he was never able to compete again. Experts agreed that no one but Shavarsh could have done what he did. As if this wasn't enough for one man, and as a testament to his character, on February 19, 1985, just nine years later, Shavarsh just happened to be walking near a burning building that had people trapped inside. He rushed in and broke doors down and started pulling people out, all without a second thought. Once again, he was badly hurt with severe burns and spent a long time in the hospital. He was not acknowledged for his heroic acts until decades after the events. He lived a quiet life and later moved to Moscow and formed a shoe company called Second Breath. This man is a hero. Heroes walk among us, some in the limelight, others quietly, humbly. These are people who are ready at any moment to jump to the aid of those in need. Wow. What have you done with your life? Like when <laughs> I that. hear that, I'm like, man. <laughs> See, the neat thing, so here he is, this incredible athlete, and then saves 20 lives mm-hmm. in ice cold water, right? Yeah, and then saves even more in the fire later. Fire, fire and ice. See, it's always about fire and ice. <laughs> but um, so... Here's, I guess, the gist of the whole thing. Um, in the end, everyone can be a hero somewhere. If we, Every example we've had was a different kind of hero. 
Some lost their life. He didn't actually lose his life. It wore him out, but then mm-hmm. he died. We're all, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, we're all going to die. And if we're all going to die, then we kind of got to decide how we want to have lived, right? So part of being yeah. a hero, let's start, uh, I think all of us need to probably go out there and figure out how do you want to be remembered Start living your life that way. You don't need to go be a hero. And start looking for the heroes in your life. If you happen to have a hero in your life that is alive right now, I'd suggest you go tell them things. And tell them that, how they changed your life. How great would it be to know that, you may, that you've changed somebody's life instead of just finding out about it, I guess, you know, later up in heaven when you're sitting there. They, you find out, oh, yeah, you were someone's hero. Again, heroes don't have to always save lives. Uh, sometimes heroes are just there saving someone's time, saving someone's safety. I mean, how many how many parents are out there or uh, that have that have to work and they send their kids over to a babysitter who watches the child for a few hours? That could be a very powerful heroic thing to do. Let me give you two quotes that uh, to me wrap this whole point up. C.S. Lewis taught that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Uh, And when I think of the heroes in my life, I truly am inspired by the fact that um, they were willing to uh, lose themselves. Um, And one more by Kimberly Jones. Don't let people pull you into their storm. Pull them into your peace. We talked earlier about uh, we're all looking for a hero, and I'm going to tell you, even though the most popular movies right now are going to be the movies with all these superheroes and Superman and Wonder Woman with her invisible jet, in reality, uh, they're not going to be able to bring you the peace long term, nor will the, you know, the, the really popular television shows that you love or your favorite musicians They're all great. They're all wonderful. But the true heroes in life are the ones that can bring the peace. And the ones that bring the peace are the ones that live the principles. Okay? Folks, thanks for listening to us. Again, our goal on the show is to give you a leg up in life and help you find the good life. We're all living it. We're a very blessed uh, group of people. Be looking for the blessings. Start counting your many blessings. And please share with those people that are heroes in your life the impact they've made in your life. And go out and do. Go be a hero. Uh, for the people in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.